thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. You're listening to Wellness Women Radio with women's health experts, Dr. Ashley Bond, the pregnancy and birthing guru, and the queen of hormone imbalances, the period whisperer herself, Dr. Andrea Huddleston. They're raising the bar for women's health by bringing you the most up-to-date health and wellness information to live your best life. Now, onto the show. This episode of Wellness Women Radio is very proudly brought to you by Dinner Twist. Dr. Ashley and I want to let you in on a little secret of how we maintain our healthy whole foods lifestyle with very little time. And one of those ways is actually with Dinner Twist. So they plan, they shop, they deliver everything to our door to take all of the guesswork out of having really healthy meals for dinner each night. Um, I love Dinner Twist because they are a locally family-owned business here in Perth in Western Australia, and all of their produce is locally sourced and seasonal. So they are really invested in all of their suppliers as well, which is absolutely amazing. Everything is so fresh. Uh, Ashley and I both get the Wholesome Box, which is naturally gluten and dairy-free as well, and is very consistent with a paleo-type lifestyle as well. Uh, so it's, you know, completely consistent with, you know, the way that we want to eat and want to feed our loved ones too. This is also how I trick Dean into thinking that I can actually cook. So seriously, if I can do it, everybody can trust me. And their recipes are so delicious. They also have other options apart from the wholesome box. So they have a family box for bigger size families an express box. If you're really short on time, uh, as well as a vegan box too. Now, we would love to give you the opportunity for you to actually try Dinner Twist and realize how healthy, how delicious and how fresh it is, but also how much easier this is going to make life as well. So we have a special promo code for you, and that is going to give you $35 off your first box. And that is WWR for Wellness Women Radio. Um, So we would love you to uh, try for yourself. Don't take my word for it, but let me know what you think. Without further ado, ladies, onto the show. Hey there, gorgeous listeners. Thank you so much for joining us again on Wellness Men Radio. I'm Ashley. And I'm Andrea. And ladies, make sure you are following us on social media. So I'm DrAndrea.xo on Instagram and The Period Whisperer on Facebook. You can find Ashley on Dr. Ashley Bond uh, just on everything. And make sure that you have checked out her newest little beautiful addition to her family. Um, we're going to do another show all diving into everything that is the the wonderful world of um, new baby Ella. But Asha just wanted to say congratulations. <laughs> Thank um, she you. is so divine and just such a beautiful, like calm, peaceful little soul. It's, uh, yeah, it's so beautiful, but all of that for another day. <laughs> I know we've had questions about the birth story going, come on, come on, can you tell us all about it? So we have to do a podcast and we'll throw that, uh, we'll do the birth story and all that. But, uh, today we've got a very special guest and she kind of feels into this topic really nicely because we're going to talk about a lot of things related to how as women, we can lift our game in terms of health and lifestyle and living. Um, so we are really, really honored to have the gorgeous, uh, Alex from Lotox Life here. She's a really passionate woman who, you know, if you haven't seen her around, I'm sure you've accidentally seen her books on the bookshelves in bookstores at the airport. Like I keep seeing it everywhere I go. Um, Author of Lotox Life, the latest book is Food, which is how to shop, cook, swap, save and eat for a healthy and happy planet. And I think that's just everything we talk about here on this podcast. So it's a real pleasure to have you with us. Your international best-selling book, Lotox Life, podcast by the same name. I mean, clearly you've supported millions of people with making changes in their life. Uh, Sought-after speaker, consultant uh, to organisations, committing to change for good, whether 
focusing on people's health or on the planet. Um, you are a wonder woman. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. And I've described myself as a multi-passionate, definitely. I mean, there's just so much to do. And I'm just one of those people who's always said yes and figured it out later. And um, and I think when you, when you start to clock just how far, deep, wide this health and planet health uh, picture go and how they're inextricably linked because, of course, we are of the planet. We forget that part sometimes as humans. We think it's a problem over there to solve, um, but we realise that we actually solve our own problems to solve the planet's problems too, and that's kind of exciting when people start to realise that because then there's actually less work to do, which is also a good thing. <laughs> Alex, you're totally talking my language. I always um, think that I'm on this passionate crusade to, you know, save the world. Um, <laughs> it sounds like you're, you know, you're in parallel with that, which is so nice. Um, and can you just kind of unpack for us a little bit, how did you get into, I guess, you know, this passion and purpose for, um, you know, teaching people about low-tox life, having less of an impact, you know, really looking after and nurturing their health and then, you know, shifting into, I guess, kind of how to <laughs> save the world. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, and I like to say serve the world. It kind of works energetically and people sure. think, oh, that's something I can do rather than like I, only Superman type people can do that, you know, mm -hmm. makes it feel a bit more real. So that is definitely a terminology I use. I think I've always been a teacher, trainer, motivator. I had a big career in luxury goods uh, before another big career in hospitality. And across both of those industries, I was always promoted to team leader quite early in the piece and then figuring out problem solving solutions. How can we get our people more motivated? What are some of the cohesion issues in the team? Like, how can we get everyone working together? And then when I had a few health issues of my own, um, specifically around chronic tonsillitis, where I, it got to a point of antibiotic resistance, um, there was literally no other solution. And I had to bring my solution-based thinking from all my corporate experience into my health life. And I'm sure there are people listening right now who have been there as well, where one, all of a sudden there are no further answers it, looking down a certain path and you have to look at other paths. And a good friend of mine happened to be dropping me over some chicken soup and say, said to me, why don't you think about going to see a naturopath? And 17 years ago that just wasn't a thing. It wasn't easy. It wasn't even like there weren't many. Um, but I had the gift of landing on someone through a friend who had been in practice for 25 years and was an incredible woman who has since had to move back to Germany for a parent with Alzheimer's. Um, but I still mourn the loss of that practitioner. So great she was. Um, that she spent the first hour of our time together just asking questions. And, uh, I mean, you guys know this. Like, you work in uh, holistic thinking and health. And, of course, we need to know everything about the person before we can figure out how best to support them. Uh, but that was my first experience of that. And she sent me away on a very simple diet of chicken broth and carrots and um, brown rice cooked in the chicken broth, re like a really long cooked kind of stewy, almost congee-ish um, thing to have just really simple food for three days and a revolting tasting mix of herbs. And, uh, and I was better. And I was like, how'd you do that? I didn't take anything because I'd only had natural stuff, things that had plant names. I thought in my conventional thinking brain, I haven't had anything to make me feel better. I'm just like, yeah, you have. 
Um, and then we kind of dove deeper into the tonsillitis and why it might be happening because, of course, it would just happen again. And she had some early research on non-celiac gluten sensitivity in its relationship to the overgrowth of strep. Mm-hmm. And um, it really ha- was very emerging, but she said it's it's worth a try. Get gluten out of the diet. Had to get gluten out of the diet. Seventeen years ago, kind of a blessing and a curse. You can't just swap back then to all the gluten free foods because there were none <laughs> mm-hmm. in the middle aisles of the supermarket. Everything contained gluten. There wasn't this easy chip situation, um, breakfast popper situation. Uh, frozen dinner situation that was gluten-free just didn't exist and so it drove me into the arms of produce after a heck of a lot of panic for a couple of months there Um, and I had to learn how to cook and that was really me then having to figure out the food system and from there it was a natural progression to look at personal care and cleaning products leading up to um, giving birth to my my boy who's now 12 and uh, and from there I realized friends were kind of excited that I could cook, that, you know, we were ex-gen Sydney, inner Sydney kids who maybe you got to, you know, make a cupcake with your grandma on your birthday, but that was really the only experience we had in the kitchen because we were of the generation of inner city kids where all the big schools were like, no, women are emancipated now. We take away the home economics. We take away all that stuff. I still did needlepoint in year seven and eight. That's how old I am. But um, (laughs) I was terrible at it. But Um, Suffice it to say, we came from a generation where you just did not know how to cook um, unless you happen to have uh, strong cultures in your family, like an Italian nonna or a Greek grandma or um, a Vietnamese aunt, you know, who could help you with these things. Uh, We were just going to be professionals, not cooks. And I think that's a real travesty. It's a missing piece in this emancipation story of women um, where um, we didn't start teaching both girls and boys to cook. Uh, and share the workload because, hello, the mother load is very, very real. So, yeah, it really was then a fusion of me taking my teaching, training, developing background, learning all of this stuff in the health space, um, right down to like, oh, tooth floss is coated with Teflon? You're kidding me. That's an environmental travesty. Plus, never breaks down, you know, breaks down in our bloodstream, learning all this stuff got to teach. And so I put the two things together and Lotox Life is born. Yeah, awesome. Um, I love what you just touched on there, Alex, about the the Teflon coated um, like dental floss, because yeah. I do want to get into that a little bit. It's because in the context of women's health, mm-hmm. um, which is obviously, you know, the, the huge focus that we have here and um, we have dived into this topic a bit about, you know, the idea of toxin exposure and hormone, um, you know, disrupting chemicals and all sorts of things like that. But we haven't done that for a while. Um, Alex, with your obviously expertise in, um, you know, chemicals and and your low-tox world, can you dig into the problem with that and women's health and hormonal function? Mm. So um, I mentioned that cosmetics um, and uh, luxury goods was my first career. And so before I joined the office team and management, I was on the cosmetics floor. So I was one of those counter girls in David Jones. And uh, I look back at that time and the chats that we would have around the cosmetics counter because it was basically a whole day of gas bagging and occasionally for <laughs> customer. And um, I remember all these women who were older than me, I was only 19, 18, 19 at the time, 
um, hearing their stories and it was all about fertility issues and trying to get pregnant and um, really painful periods, irregular periods, heaps of issues with periods. Like Mm -hmm. I don't think there was a single woman on the floor that didn't have a period issue. Um, And then, you know, eventually I kind of realised that I did as well. And I think back to that and I think back to what we were trained on. We were trained on the gorgeous algae that was going to get rid of all of our wrinkles from the depths of the Aegean Sea and we were trained on the 24-karat gold leaf flecks that were in the luminizer that would give our skin the glow. But we weren't trained on any of those chemical ingredients that were on the bottom half of the label. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think uh, as I started to clue into that much later in the piece, I realised, oh, my gosh, what was in the stuff that I was selling? And I went back and I had a look. And sure enough, as I looked through the bottom two-thirds of the um, ingredient list, I realised, huh, it's full of endocrine disruptive chemicals mm-hmm. and potential carcinogens. And I was selling these things with such pride, uh, you know, solving all of the problems of the modern woman wanting to look and feel her best. When once I had started to research things and interview experts, you know, um, chemical engineers, environmental scientists, as I started to build towards a podcast and courses where I really wanted for all of us to be able to access people who have studied at a very deep level these mm-hmm. these topics uh, professionally. Um, I, I was just dismayed, like totally upset with the world that could exist where we would have something on a shelf that might be deemed unsafe uh, if we really looked at it under a more um, detailed lens. And so endocrine disruptive chemicals, for people who might not know what those words are, Mm -hmm. um, if we think about the endocrine system as our massive network of hormones throughout the body, um, endocrine disruptive chemicals, therefore, can either disrupt or mimic um, natural hormone signaling in the body. So if you start to become exposed to one of these endocrine disruptive chemicals, it could start tricking your body into thinking you're making plenty of estrogen when you're not, and then natural estrogen could then potentially slow down in being made so that when you're not exposed to that thing, you're a bit sluggish and then your peaks and troughs of your cycle start to get a little bit dodge. Um, and away we go. We have fertility problems. We have period problems. We have pain, uh, all these things that really we shouldn't have. It's not normal. Just because it's common shouldn't make it normal. And mm-hmm. for me, endocrine disruptive chemicals are a massive one to tackle because they really do permeate everything, like everything mm-hmm. from when your car gets washed and the spray they put in after they've detailed the upholstery right through to uh, the shampoo, um, maybe even the candle that your girlfriend gave you for your birthday, everything. It's every anything that has a synthetic smell or is a soft, stretchy kind of um, uh, bendy plastic uh, has a ton of endocrine disruptive chemicals in it, specifically phthalates when we think mm-hmm. about stretchy plastic and um, fake smells. And phthalates are really there as a plasticizer. They help things stick. So that's why you can give your gym buddy a hug after a massive uh, workout and go high five, go you, and then five hours later before you have your shower, you take your hair out and kind of hair passes over your face and you can smell 
their deodorant still on you and you only just gave them a quick hug after class. That is that plasticizer, sticky compound, the phthalates um, doing their job. And we have, so this is an interesting thing, right, because we have been taught that success and high performance in a fragranced product is equal to it lasting a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I don't know about you guys, but I use essential oils. Um, if I do want to smell, you know, not often that I do actually, but when I do, um, that's what I turn to. And I'm well aware that I'm going to have to reapply that four or five times over the course of a day if I want it to keep smelling like something because it doesn't have that added boosted chemical support of phthalates to make it last. And uh, and I like that now that I know what that the price of that success picture of a long-lasting fragrance is. Uh, mm-hmm. So that for me is a big one. And often men feel like that's not a big deal because they don't use that many fragranced products, but they're exposed to them and they use deodorant. Mm. Uh, often it's in their shaving um, balms and foams and those hideous link sprays that teenagers use. Oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah. Uh, you can smell that a mile away. Isn't it just foul? Yeah. And <laughs> while it gives us some bother as women, it can completely stuff up the male reproductive system, um, mm-hmm. sperm counts, in existing healthy adult males that start to get exposed to this. But if we're looking at some of the studies that have been done on female phthalate factory workers mm-hmm. uh, and their unborn, uh, their babies that are then born male, we see um, malformations of the male genital um, system. So like the anus is too close to the penis or a micropenis. I mean, this is not light-hearted stuff. These are not small mm. problems. And I've had women write to me over the years to say, oh, my gosh, I just did the, you know, the third topic in the course and I can't believe that maybe my love of f- candles has somehow contributed to what my son has, which is this issue you talk about. Um, mm. and, and it's heartbreaking. Um, and we want to get to it before those sorts of things happen, which is why it's so great you guys both focus on um, preconception in the passionate way that you do because um, we can mitigate all of that um, and, uh, and really start to change the picture of this disastrous fertility issue we now have on our hands um, where not only is it really tough to get pregnant, for one in six couples they actually can't uh, right now, um, but we are also now seeing an evening out of the stats on men and women bringing that infertility picture into 50-50 almost um, as to who has brought the issue to the couple. Um, and also. Um, we're seeing it in our children, having like boobs at five and six or all sorts of other things um, starting to happen. Uh, and really, you know, imagine if our girls realised they didn't have to have ridiculous hormonal swings through their teenage years. They could actually be supported to iron those out a little bit and rather just kind of notice interesting different parts of their cycle instead of, I hate being a woman, which is what most of us thought as teenagers, um, because it sucked. And it was because we we sprayed ourselves with all these things unbeknownst to us were an absolute shocker. And you've really nailed it there too, isn't it? It's once you know, it's really hard to unknow. You've been on this Mm. pathway for 17 years and how um, much, you know, you've learned in that time. There's a lot of our listeners who will just be 
starting on this journey it'd be quite oh, yeah. it can be quite overwhelming to hear these things um you know we've touched on podcasts where we've said you know look statistically they've said the studies in the states are showing that 90 percent of cord blood contains phthalates yeah. so exactly what you said that we're passing this on to our children and then as women we take this incredible sense of responsibility um mm-hmm. and i know for some women it can not necessarily be positive so no, um not- yeah we it's- have to we have to realise the, the, that part of the responsibility of talking about this stuff mm. is um, owning how it lands for people as yeah. well, yeah. gently helping to support people to um, find a new way and make yeah. new choices and to also let go of what we didn't know. Like we just, yeah. I mean, my gosh, the amount of things I did not know that I could have completely changed about my health in my teens and 20s had I known um and so the only thing we can do is get excited about the fact that we now know and what we can change and focus there and just let go of any of the guilt that might pop up um anger is great that's actually quite healthy I think it does be a part of the change (laughs) yeah um but the guilt part that's not useful you didn't know not your fault we need that goodwill hunting moment where he goes it's not your fault and it's just not and then move forward yeah, and we definitely know some women will take this information and jump on it and be like, walk into their bathroom and literally just throw everything into a box straight into the bin and start fresh. And other yeah. people are more, you know, practical in their approach thinking, well, I can't afford to change everything right now. And we've mm-hmm. always encouraged this approach of one thing at a time. You know, as Absolutely. soon as you run out of something, go and replace it with something better so that eventually over time you build up a completely new uh, repertoire, a new regime. And I loved one of the quotes in your book, which was saying, you know, it's not about um, doing it sort of all at once. It's that piece by piece approach um which tends to work for us better it's it's what you do most of the time not what you do um some of the time and that was really powerful thinking that's so true isn't it that we often um get a little bit strung up on all of this stuff because i know when i first went down the path of it um it was again also for a fertility side of things as well just because um i'd always not struggled with, with period issues had lack of periods because of sport and high level performance then told i had polycystic ovaries and then told i had to take the pill and you know you just kind of didn't mm-hmm. know any differently and when uh, I backwards I'm, i still yeah. love that that doctor that said that stuff to me because he made me so angry that i had to find another path and i'm so grateful for that moment um oh, and, and, I, I have a similar story and i think yeah. so many women do Mine was you could be looking at early onset menopause uh, at 28 and I hadn't had a period for a couple of years when I came off the pill. Yeah. Um, But, again, marched off to the naturopath and Mm -hmm. sorted out in six weeks. I was humming. So I I was so angry. It's so interesting that you shared that because I totally remember that feeling as well. Yeah, so I guess to all our listeners, we say, look, at some point we're all going to be a little bit lost in this world of uh, low-tox living and how we can get Mm -hmm. to the point where we embody the lifestyle that's going to make us really, really healthy from the inside out. Um, And I do think starting local is a really good place. We were chatting before the show just sort of saying, Alex, oh, do you have an amazing biodynamic farm? I'm so jealous. She's like, no, inner city girl. I'm like, oh, my goodness, how do we do green living in the city? Let's have a chat about that because i know a lot of our our listeners you ladies uh, most of most of you are city dwellers we know that you know we choose to live in the city as well there's some conveniences about that that we embrace but it's also about clearing a path forward that is as green and sustainable as possible um, with consciousness and and commitment to doing better every single day and you can do that in the city so you don't have to rush off and buy a farm and you know live on 30 acres it's it is possible to do that in the city too isn't it yeah it is and i think um 
this is something that Instagram has definitely had a good side and a not so great side is we think to do things perfectly, we have to do them a certain way. Mm. And about five years ago, we were, I thought I had to go and move to the country. Um, and it's just something really deep in my soul that just did not want to do that. And that is absolutely nothing against anyone who loves the country. I love visiting my friends who live in the country as well. But um, I grew up passionate about um, music and theatre and, uh, you know, I, sat, I was a singer for a long time and um, culture and arts and like and being able to access it on tap is really part of my own sense of well-being. Um, and I also need to be able to access wide spaces and country and nature. That's also a part of my sense of well-being. Um, but as a hospo girl, so is like, you know, training and teaching in that space and being very much a part of the hospitality industry still. So um, I think one of the best things I gave myself was permission to do this however it felt right for me. Um, and I encourage everybody out there to do the same for you. You might feel the country is calling and think, I just can't do this anymore and go. And it might just be the best thing that happened to you as well. So. For me, living in a city um, like Sydney, I, I'm really interested to see, I think City of Sydney Council has done a great job the last decade to start to green our spaces, to start to grant more access of um, land to community veggie patches. And there have been a lot of local activists on the ground making that happen as well and accessing grant money and, and bringing more green spaces in. I interviewed for my show a couple of um, months ago, Doug Purdy, who manages 100 beehives within inner Sydney. Um, you know, just cool stories like that. And then, of course, then we need the residents around those areas to plant tr trees and, and um, bushes and flowers that the bees are going to love and be able to thrive on and do their work. Um, and uh, things like composting and worm farming and starting to plug into local ways of doing that if you can't do it in your apartment, let's say. Um, we're lucky enough to have a big balcony and so we've got a worm farm. But um, you also have Share Waste as an app that lets you plug into locals who've got big compost bins and um, or the worm monger down in Victoria taking in people's scraps and turning it into worm castings and what I love about cities now is there's enough people who love the city but also love greening things and want to try and connect and figure out how to do great things together. Um, and it doesn't necessarily mean you then have to make it your job or it has to take 10 hours a week, but it's just like, okay, food waste, if it was a country, is like literally the third largest emitter in the world behind China and the US. That's my number one as a city person. How am I going to sort out our food waste so it doesn't go to landfill? There's so many ways now, and I love that. And I think if you can't find a way, you create a way. And and we can only do that if we realise the magnitude of some of the big issues. Um, whereas if we stay on Instagram, we might think, oh, I don't live in a farm, I'm not perfect, and, oh, I can't be a clean eater or tread lightly if I eat meat. Or, you know, there's all of these definitions and narratives, um, versions of truth that we feel like we need to plug into, but really... The world is a lot more grey than social media tries to portray it as being, which tends to be quite tribal out there. But um, really there's space for everybody to be who they are. And um, and I think, you know, even doing something as simple as changing your products to low tox over time, as you say, you know, some people have A-types who just go, whoop, 
I want to do everything. And I always see it in my courses and the groups. Um, there's like probably about five A types and 95 who are like, please don't tell me I have to do it that fast. I'm not ready. I can't do that. I don't have the cash, you know. So um, so I think, yeah, we, we then just start to realise then that means we clean up what we're sending down the waterways. Uh, and so if all of a sudden we're diverting food from landfill and we're turning it into new soil, amazing. Then we're diverting like endocrine disruptors and carcinogens from our waterways through our cleaning products and personal care. Like, boom, that's greening the city. That's that's a pretty good start. Um, uh, and so then the problems that seemed really massive, you've all of a sudden become a part of a network of solutions and then those problems start to get smaller and you can tackle bigger stuff. Alex, you mentioned meat um, there, which I know is a really huge, emotive, controversial topic as well. Mm. And there's there's a lot of misconception at the moment around the footprint that, yeah. you know, essentially um, – you know, animal protein or, or meat has on the planet and that uh, a lot of people are moving into sort of the vegan or plant-based space because of this idea that they think that they're decreasing their footprint and that's the mm. way to, you know, serve the planet, for example. What's your take on that? Yeah, so it's not a take. It's more of an accurate assessment of like sure. where narratives come from and how they end up becoming culturally mainstay. And if you look at the plant-based narrative, um, the vegan narrative, um, like I will never tell anyone they have to eat a certain way and it seems that a lot of people do really well um, on um, less or no meat at all. Um, I'm not one of them. And so, again, we have this issue of guilt. If, like, you have a body type or a genotype or um, mm -hmm. a, a SNP uh, in your epigenetics, that means you really need, like, say, a ton of B vitamins from natural sources, otherwise, you can't absorb the synthetic ones. Then, you know, we have a problem if we start shaming huge amounts of the population for, or, and we have a health problem if we start taking away foods that a lot of indigenous cultures, mm. um, you know, tell the mountain goat farmers in Afghanistan that can't grow a vegetable to save themselves in that climate that they can't eat meat anymore, they will literally die. And I think we have a very granular, very here on the ground in front of me in my tiny world reality. And then there's the whole world reality. And um, when we look at the whole world and the reality, there is a huge group of very powerful, or the small group of very powerful people wanting to make the uh, saving of our planet productizable. They want to turn it into industry and they want to turn it into something very profitable. And uh, this started way back. I think the first obvious example of it is the founding of Kellogg's and um, uh, the way that cereals became mainstay in the human diet was essentially because of an interpretation of something in the Bible. Uh, and a lot of people don't know these historic stories. We don't, you know, we don't necessarily study history beyond year nine or ten if we don't like it we ditch it um but applied history is the way we learn to be better and we learn to be open-minded and we learn to see how things started and why things became they are like they are today and i think if we look at um uh the the meat story um yes factory farming is without a doubt an absolute travesty to the animals and to the planet, as is live export. Shocker, 
Like I eat veggio if I can't find, um, if the people serving me at the airport counter or the restaurant can't tell me where that comes from and I can't have a clear ethical path, then I would choose something else. But I'm in a very privileged position to choose that. I'm not the mum trying to feed six kids the discount mints from Coles who actually just needs to get meat on the table because they're a third generation unemployed family. So I'm very sensitive to the very wide palette of people just trying to do their best um, and meat being an incredibly nutrient-dense food that helps people actually thrive um, in a way that they could never afford to buy that much funky plant-based productized food nor even fruit and veg sometimes too expensive. Um, or if you look at food banks, oh my gosh, like the things that they have access to through food banks, it's not great food. Um, there's nothing fresh there. So it's easy for us all to fight over meat and beans over here. But at the end of the day, we need to look at what's actually good for the planet and good for the planet is biodiversity, soil health, uh, and, um, carbon sequestration. And you cannot have a healthy landscape with only plants. And it's just not possible. Ask any farmer out there. They're going to have um, the healthiest landscapes always have a mix, really good leguminous cover crops, a few um, herds of cattle. Uh, Then there's going to be like some fruit and veg, like agroforestry and great examples of silvopasture and stuff that I talk about in the book. This is what's healing the planet. And I think any logical person would be able to go, oh, okay, cool. So if that heals the planet, that's different to what I have learned or believed. Um, But because I care about healing the planet, I'm happy to now admit that maybe those people are useful as meat eaters because then if we're all eating all these different ways, we can plug in and be a part of something really special together, which is great agriculture, really healthy agriculture that regenerates rather than extracts from Mm. our planet. Um, So... Yeah, I would like to see a return to regenerative agriculture as a solution. Um, people have tried so much. Mm-hmm. I talk about, you know, Rudolf Steiner, um, uh, J.R. Rodale, real legends who were like trying to sound the alarm bell as all these chemical inputs were coming into the farming. But, um, you know, they just didn't have the um, profit appeal uh, mm-hmm. that productizing and monocropping agriculture with synthetic inputs did. So here is where we are, all just trying to then fight. At the end of these big, big changes in the 20th century, now in the 21st century, about how to fix things. And it's fair enough that people see different ways, but we have to also look at how we got here in the first place. Um, And so that's what I would suggest to people when they research this and they look for themselves. I've shared a whole bunch of beautiful ways in the book. And my vibe is you eat your way, I eat my way, but let's all ditch food waste, ultra processed food and all source from better places, whoever's in the privileged position of doing so. Does that kind of, I know, I mean, I could talk about this for hours, but that's really, I really feel like we need to start on our overlaps now because the fighting isn't getting us anywhere and the fighting happens between people who don't have the big picture often. 
Yeah, and it's amazing too. I love that you you mentioned that, that, you know, we're not all going to have access to a farm that we have control and regulation in. No. But we can choose products that then drive that marketplace to support what we want. So your focus on, you know, reducing food waste, um, increasing compost, to reduce packaging, I thought that was, you know, a really good section in here. I loved, you know, even the five tips of how to use a broccoli stem. I'm like, oh, my gosh, gold. How many of us just chop that and throw that, right? Um, And then the idea of, you know, removing tins. It's so easy as you – I read in the book there, I thought I smiled because I thought, yep, same problem I have every time you look at a recipe. Tin tomatoes, right? It's that they always Mm. have 400-gram tin tomatoes. You think, okay, well, what if I don't want to buy 14 tins at the supermarket next time I go? Because you touched on that idea that they're – Tins are lined with plastics, BPAs, which leach into the food product that you take out of the tin, depending on how long it's been canned for. So it's just such a great um, reminder that we can all do small things every day that have ripple effects and have bigger impact. And I know we all just think, oh, but how can me buying a tin of tomatoes make a difference? Mm. Well, it can because it drives the marketplace, right? So each individual. Signals the buying software to generate an order. Yep. So it, once we've realised what, um, you know, stockholding and logistics is, um, you can kind of go, oh, okay, it really does make a difference because if eight of us stopped buying that tin, that two tins of tomatoes for our weekly shop, that's 16. So that might actually trigger a new message in that system that yeah. no one's buying um, the tin tomatoes anymore, but check out how much um, fresh tomatoes people are buying and chucking in their blender and putting that in there. Yeah. Um, meals instead and uh and we can't do that if we don't all believe that the collective makes a difference and i know alex we could talk for hours on this and i definitely I think we need to have you back because there's <laughs> a whole other areas we want to dive into as well but i'd love to uh, get you to sort of throw out at our audience what are your five top low-tox living low-tox life tips um whether it be related to food or anything else that you think can I guess, make the here and now immediate impact in someone's life to start them on this journey or to um, advance their journey depending on where, where they're at? Mm, okay. So uh, first one, I'm just going to say really left field, but um, find out what your pillow is made from. And if you have had your pillow for more than two years, it's time to say goodbye. Um, pillows have a mold, dust, fungi, microplastics if they're made from polyester or memory foams. Mm -hmm. Um, Some people need therapeutic memory foam pillows. I completely understand that. Um, I've had big debates with my chiropractor about how we do something natural that still does the um, supportive thing. But um, so best you can do then is put a really good thick quilted cotton cover over your pillow so that you don't get that plastic micro dust um, situation. We're on our pillows for eight hours a night. And well, hopefully mm-hmm. we've been good. And um, and so there's a lot that can be not so great about that if the pillow's not low tox. So that's one of my favourites to recommend. Another favourite to recommend is uh, to have a look at your water source. Um, if you're just currently using tap water, I would very much recommend that you switch to filtered water. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are kind of a couple of levels of uh, quality. There's a really big debate about whether we should be drinking alkaline water as a long-term only given it's often not the case in various spring waters in the world. It seems to be different. And um, and so rather than thinking about that, I think about what we don't want in the tap water and what we want to take out. And so um, pesticide and herbicide residue, uh, chlorine, various bacteria and fungi as well. Maybe you sit on the side of the fluoride debate where you'd also quite like that removed. 
you've chatted to your holistic dentist and there seems to be a good path forward with some more nutrients in the diet so you can get rid of that as well. Um, and uh, filtered water is one of my best because a good water that remineralizes, we need our filtered waters to remineralize, otherwise you just add a little pinch of a good quality salt. Um, that's going in and out of every cell of every second of the day and really creating who we are. So it's a very important low-tox swap. Uh, a third one is to have a think about how much ultra-processed food is in your shopping trolley. The average mm. Aussie family has 60% ultra-processed food in our trolleys. So that means 60% of what we have in our trolleys is not actually designed to help the human body function or thrive. And it's then just a really gentle pulling away from that ultra-processed food, starting to look at different options. If you're lost, if that freaks you out, if you think, what are the kids going to say? My book will help, I promise. It really is designed to help us all transition to um, more whole foods, but do it really happily and successfully. Mm -hmm. rather than uh, in a stressed out, guilted um, kind of way. Uh, so that's number three. Number four, I would say have a think about, do a mental stock take of all the things that have a fake smell. So look at your mm -hmm. scented candle and say, oh, vanilla creme brulee. How'd they get the vanilla creme brulee <laughs> in there? Or, um, you know, lemongrass and orange blossom, but it kind of smells just like fruity or something. Or spring fresh in your fabric softener and, um, like, how'd they make that smell like spring? And actually it doesn't smell a thing like spring flowers do. Um, and start to transition away from those synthetic fragrances. And if you don't believe how toxic they are, you don't need to take my word for it. One of my favourite things to recommend, chuck it all in a box everything that has a fake smell that you can think of, every air freshener, every timed release thing that you might have, scented reeds, candles, all of that stuff, put it in the garage for a couple of weeks and then bring it back in, fabric softener as well. That's a big one. Um, and then bring it back in, reinstall everything and just walk through your home and notice how you feel. I don't know a single human that doesn't recognise the toxicity once we've had some time away from it and then you bring it back. And then my fifth, is mental. So I know so many stressed out people trying to eat 100% organic or trying to ditch all of their um, toxins in there every day. We see them online. They're literally terrified and stressed and telling everybody, like barking at the world that this is all toxic and trying to kill us. And um, that's not helpful. It's not helpful to you and the energy that's inside you and it's not helpful to anyone else that comes in contact with that energy. So remember that humans can only try to do their best. Remember that collective action matters and literally just kindly sharing, you know, a beautiful lipstick that you're using and letting a friend notice it and then saying, oh, yeah, it's this brand. And I did some crazy research about this stuff lately and it turns out it used to be like a lead in the mainstream when I was buying. So I was like, no brainer, I'm using this instead. And think about how we can gently educate and support others once we know um, is going to be a really beautiful way for us to create change instead of from a stressed, pushy way that then creates disharmony in the body. And we see how stress manifests um, in the body. So if it's all freaking you out, when in doubt, meditate. And I mean that like dead set serious. Um, and that could be make a risotto, like Nigella Lawson talks about how meditation comes in the form of risotto making for her. It could come in going for a beautiful walk with your bubba in the park with your feet 
bear and on the grass or it could actually be doing a meditation. But make sure your life isn't dominated by stress because that'll kill us faster than one through four will. That's for sure. That's oh, my five. Awesome. Yeah, Alex, that's such a great, um, such a great little five um, sort of tips there. I know, I finally and- winged it there, but I really think that they're super, super important as totally. the like, five that floated to the top for me in that moment. And just do a quick summary, everyone. So that was check your pillow, your water source. So, you know, filters are so worth um, investing in. Um, Reducing your ultra-processed foods, looking at the fragrances and everything around your home and just checking into that mental load and that de-stressing. That's awesome. Alex, how can our listeners find out more about you? So the good thing is, is given that I came up with the term low-tox and low-tox life, um, everything is called low tox life, and that's how you know it's me and not someone else. There are a bazillion people that call themselves low tox something these days, um, and and that's fine. It's amazing. Like part of my um, why was creating a, a movement that people could use that part of the phrase. But low tox life is me. So on Instagram, on Facebook, the podcast, the first book, the second book with the addition of the word food, it's all just called low tox life. Yeah, great. Um, so Alex's new book, as you mentioned, Low Tox Life Food is out now, I assume, in all the places where you can find great books. Yeah. Um, Alex, thanks so much for joining us on Wellness Women Radio. So ladies, you have been listening to Wellness Women Radio. We are the Wellness Women, Dr. Ashley Bond and Dr. Andrea Huddleston. We are raising the bar for women's health. And until next week, be well. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.